Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Slaying fish, drinking vodka, big fur hat. Imagine a toddler's crayon drawing of a caterpillar with a hook hanging out of the ass. And generally speaking, when you're fishing alone, do you shake it hard or medium or just a little bit? <laughs> Depends on the day, Sir Mally. Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome back to Bent, the fishing podcast for people who are sick of listening to fishing podcasts that lie to you by telling you they will actually help you catch more fish. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and, and thankfully, I've actually given up all hope of anything helping me catch more fish, except, uh, you know, <laughs> spending more time fishing. That's what I. That's what I recommend. All this stuff we we write and read about helping people catch more fish isn't that like the key to the city answer? Like whatever your question is, how do I catch a ten pound bass? Spend more time fishing, you'll catch fish one more. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. How do I catch yeah. a giant brown trout? Get out there more than once a month. Fish anyway, <laughs> the fall season is coming. Uh, and that's the time when the beaches and shores return back to their rightful stewards, striper fishermen and duck hunters. Uh, we're, we're getting into September, which is crazy. I can't believe it's September already. But that means that the uh, frat boys have had to abandon the COVID orgies on their parents' bayliners and get back to doing whatever the hell it is that entitled college kids are doing these days. What is that? Exactly. Uh, uh, zooming into class, uh -huh. I assume. And that's that's what the kids are doing, which is like, if you think about it, zooming into class is the actual literal definition of phoning it in. <laughs> oh, they Holy don't even, shit. You, you're right. I never even think about that. <laughs> they don't even have to pretend anymore. Uh, and speaking of phoning it in, since we're on that topic, I think it's time for our regional fishing report. Yeah, man, and I'm pumped on this one. This is a special one. It comes to us from none other than internationally renowned fly fishing guide, influencer, podcast host, and celebrity Hank freaking Patterson. Yeah. And I got to say, man, I am I am flabbergasted that you arranged this. Good for you. All those years of sitting in your car like a creeper in the parking lot at Orvis headquarters, <laughs> hoping to awkwardly flag him down have finally paid off. Good on you, Miles. 
Check one, check one. Mike is hot. Hot Mike. Check one, two, two. Check two, check two. Hey, Terry, how does that sound? One, check one, check one. Terry, you listening to that? How does that sound? I don't want to sound like one of those friggin' low-rent bait fishing guys calling in their fishing report from a payphone outside a backwood gas station toilet or something, all right? You want to make this sound real pro. All right, so let's listen up. Check, check, check. Is that good? Check, that good? That check, check, good? Good, okay. And three, two, one. Hey, I'm Hank Patterson, pro staffer, world-renowned fly fishing expert and guide. Hey, uh, I'm here today with a fishing report for anybody planning a trip uh, in the next week or so to Alphonse Island in the Seychelles. I'm heading to the Seychelles. I'm sure you're all pretty excited about that. But uh, before I get into all that, I just wanted to brag that or just tell you about the fact that I was in Russia last week on the Kamchaka, Kamchui, Kambucha River, the Kambucha River, fishing giant rainbows, slaying fish, drinking vodka, big fur hat, amazing trip. Let me tell you, if you are ever planning a trip to Russia, give me a shout. I'll put together a hosted trip. And so that way I can go on the trip uh, for free. I mean, well, it's not, not not free for you, you understand. It's just what a hosted trip is, is I basically make a couple of phone calls and then I mooch off of you paying full price so that I get to go uh, to Russia without paying any money. It's a win-win, trust me. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, this week I'm going to be in the Seychelles and, well, before I get to that next week, I'm going to be in Iceland and I know what you're thinking. Oh my God, Iceland, Hank, would you please post a collection of hero shots of yourself with big fish in Iceland, hashtagged busy day at the office. And would you, oh, and would you please post pictures of all the helicopters that you ride in while in Iceland and hashtag those <clears throat> Iceland Uber or hashtag make every day count. Anyway, if you're headed to the Seychelles, uh, I should say, remember, uh, take some flies and, and, and a rod or whatever. Make sure to get yourself on a, on a pro staff or whatever. Anyway, uh, bring seven GoPros, four drones, a 6K Blackmagic video camera on a gimbal, and a smartphone so that you can keep up on all of your socials while you're there. And hey, if you're planning a trip to Cuba in the fall, I'll see you there. You know... Not to sound like a dick, but I didn't even realize Hank was still around, man. I kind of thought he he faded away, like with Tenkara and fly fishing, oh. fly fishing for carp. Um, but I must just be out of the Hank loop or something. No, he never went anywhere. I think I think there's a little more to the story. Oh? Actually, I'm 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 pretty sure, at least from the sources I've got, I'm I'm pretty sure Hank has to stay in international waters so he can avoid extradition for for something. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> if, if if any of you out there want to get on one of Hank's hosted trips and get the honor of paying for him to stay out of prison while fishing for free in the Seychelles, <laughs> check him out at hankpatterson.com. Just make sure to watch out for spyware. <laughs> <laughs> before, before you go and do that, uh, we've reached the part of the show where we beg, implore, and guilt trip you into putting down your phones and your computers and reading an actual book once in a while. Listen up, you frickin' Philistines. I got a book recommendation for you. What's a Philistine? It's a guy who doesn't care about books or interesting films and things. Then I'm a Philistine. Time on the Water by Bill Gardner chronicles a 200-day musky season. 
that alone makes it worthy of a read. I mean, how many recreational anglers do you know who put in that kind of time? Very few. Very few casual anglers have the drive or discipline to fish virtually every day from May 3rd to November 30th. And Gardner is most definitely a casual angler. Part of the appeal of this story is Gardner's willingness to expose his own ignorance. He doesn't pretend to be an expert. He's a musky fanboy with an obsessive personality who had an epiphany while sitting in gridlock LA traffic one day and decided to move his family to northern Wisconsin and spend seven months trying to catch one of the top 10 biggest muskies of the year in Vilas County. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. Actually, that's not much of a spoiler. It's pretty clear from page one that this guy isn't going to crack the top 10 list. But that's not why you read the book. You read the book because it captures the beautiful futility of a fishing obsession. Time on the Water also shows how much better musky fishing is now than it was 40 years ago. Although published in 1982, all the action took place in the season of 1980. We follow Gardner as he digs it out day after day after day, casting bucktails and jerkbaits, trolling crankbaits, soaking suckers, and hardly catching any fish. At one point, he goes nearly two months straight without landing a single muskie, and his big goal for the entire season is to catch one fish approaching 50 inches. These days, 50 inches are almost expected in certain places, and a real trophy goes 50 pounds. We really are living in the golden age of musky fishing. This book is not great literature. It's a folksy account of a long and mostly unproductive fishing season. More a, a fishing diary than an actual narrative. Here's a taste. Trying a very shallow bay with thick weeds. Keep getting my bucktail fouled with weeds, so I'm going to try a big surface bait. For some reason, most musky fishermen don't use surface lures. I love them. Sometimes these big surface lures just drive muskies nuts. Sheesh! Here comes one, like a locomotive. Ten feet behind the lure, five feet. Smash! Hey, this is a fish. Set that hook. Give him line. He's a brute. No, not under the boat. Get back out here. Hold it right there while I get my glove on. Okay, into the boat. Nice fish. Measures about 39 inches. Well, I don't feel like quitting, so I guess you're going back in. Bye, guy. Two years, and you'll be a lunker. I can't believe it. I just released the biggest fish I ever caught. Makes me feel like a real pro. How'd you do today? Oh, all right. I caught a 39-incher, but turned him loose. A lot of emphasis on releasing muskies these days. But it's one of those things easier said than done. I mean, Christ, how many days have I spent on the water trying to get a decent muskie, and now he's back in the water? So, yeah. Some turns of phrase are painfully cheesy, and the term lunker appears far too often. But still, I have a soft spot for this book. And it turns out I'm not alone. It's developed a bit of a cult following. The book was never reprinted after 1982, and while the original paperbacks say $8.95 on the cover, they now go for over 100 bucks online. Luckily, Gardner sold the digital rights to Muskie Hunter magazine in 2003, and they re-released it, so you can still get the ebook for cheap. You know, I am not like a crazed musky angler, but I do like fishing books, and I have no idea how I missed that one, man. That book sounds mm -hmm. like it's squarely in my lane. It's like a, it's like the fishing book version of the band The Descendants. You know, yes. <laughs> rough, yes. geeky, underappreciated, and mostly mostly forgotten. 
That's that's <laughs> spot on, Joe, because both the Descendants and that book reached the height of whatever their popularity was in the early 80s. So so good call. Good call mm-hmm. on that one. Uh, and they're both classics. Since we're on the subject of classics, I think uh, I think we should switch over to That's My Bar. Oh, and remember, good call. Yeah, remember all of you out there, we, we actually really need your help to make this segment work. We want to shout out all the best dirty, dingy, and divey fishing bars out there. So... Shoot us an email and tell us about your favorite place to drink after a day of fishing. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. At first, I was embarrassed, I must admit. Listener Glenn Cranefeld offered up St. George's Pub in Brigantine, New Jersey, for That's My Bar. And as a purebred Jersey boy, I read Glenn's pitch and thought, how the hell... Do I not know about this bar? I practically grew up in Brigantine. Our family boat was docked down there for years. But it turns out, uh, at least according to the interwebs, St. George's wasn't established until the early 2000s, which would have been a few years after I stopped hanging out down there. And the old family boat was sold. Uh, So that explains that, nor would I have been of legal drinking age during those years anyway. But listen to this. Glenn writes... When you pull off the beach after a night on the jetty, there is nothing better than the biscuits and codfish gravy at St. George's to warm you up. That and a little Irish whiskey in your coffee. The place is open and serving 24-7. It also has a mount of the world record hybrid striper caught in saltwater hanging on the wall. Glenn says the bar's owner caught that hybrid off the dock where his big sport fishing boat is parked, and uh, a little research confirmed that to be true. Anyway, holy shit, man. Biscuits and codfish gravy. Open 24-7, mounted stripers. Glenn, it's time for me to get back to my roots, man. I guess I need to start fishing and hanging out in Brigantine again just to eat and drink at St. George's because that all sounds magical. Side note, I did spend a lot of time in the Rod and Reel Tavern in Brigantine in my youth. Okay, My dad loved eating at that joint. You remember that one, Glenn? Right? That may have been the most badass blue-collar fishing bar the Jersey Shore has ever known. But sadly, Hurricane Sandy took it from you and me and all the other bunkachunkas on our coast. Godspeed, Rod and Reel Tavern. Remember, we need you to make us hip to the coolest, dirtiest, nastiest, most fun fishing bars on the planet. So email us at bent at themeateater.com and make us believers in your favorite saloon. Tell us everything that makes it awesome so it, and you, of course, can possibly get shouted out in the next installment of That's My Bar. Thank you, Glenn, for adding to the rapidly filling reservoir of great fishing bars. Keep them coming, everyone. But uh, enough with the distractions. Let's get serious. It's time for Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. Now we'll get to the uh, fish news here, um, where we tell you the real news about fishing-related and fish-related things. And uh, as a reminder, this is a competition. Miles and I do not know which stories the other dude is bringing to the table. And this little new thing we're doing, our uh, our engineer, the mighty Phil, Phil Taylor, he now gets to weigh in at the end of this dog and pony show and decide who who brought the pain more proper. 
me or Miles. Pay attention, Phil. So, um, listen up. It's always it's always a benefit to be the leadoff man. That is that is uh, me this week. And um, Miles, it's finally happened. I knew this day would come. Hmm. Switzerland-based food giant Nestle, which we mostly know for their chocolate here in the states, has launched Sensational Vuna, a plant-based <laughs> tuna. Oh no. Oh, uh, where's yes. Ben O'Brien? We need to bring Ben in on this story. Continue. So, <laughs> so this comes to us from Fox Business. Nestle, the world's largest food company, announced uh, the launch of its plant-based tuna, becoming the latest company to dive into the growing seafood alternatives market. The fish-free tuna is made from six plant-based ingredients, including pea protein and wheat wheat gluten (laughs) and contains amino acids. Wait, this gets much better. Uh, The company said the plant-based tuna will join Nestle's portfolio of plant-based alternatives to burgers, meatballs, chicken nuggets, and other items. Now here's where it gets interesting. Apparently there's like a, um, like this fake fish race is somewhat um, like, like the space race Mm kind of, because it goes on to say, Nestle joins a number of startups launching more animal-free products in the plant-based seafood space. For instance, Good Catch sells faux tuna, uh, a faux tuna version of albacore using legumes, beans, and algae, in addition to plant-based crab cakes, which they sound just... Mm, a little Old Bay on that, you're all set. <laughs> a, a um, lot of Old Bay. Go heavy on the Old lot, Bay. A lot, lot heavy on the Old Bay. But, and then it says... And others have swum, swum into sushi-grade alternative tuna territory. What? The brand, the brand Ocean Hugger says it has, <laughs> quote, the world's first plant-based alternative to raw tuna. While San Francisco-based startup Kaliana mm. rolled out a raw tuna with iron, algae oil, and various proteins using a proprietary process said to recreate the taste and texture of raw fish. Now, I looked up this Ocean Hugger raw tuna alternative, and I got to say, based on the photos alone, it looks it looks pretty convincing. It's a nice piece of sush there on the rice with a little with a little wrap. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it is more the color of salmon than tuna, and um, per the company, all it consists of is tomatoes, gluten-free soy sauce, sugar, water, and sesame oil. Now, before we comment here, to get back to the original story, I'll close with this factoid. Uh, it says, with the rapid growth of alternative meat startups, there's certainly a market for sustainable seafood, particularly in the COVID-19 era. I mean, now it's a whole era, not just like a few months. This is the era, which is awful. Retail sales for plant-based foods in the U.S. have increased by 11% compared to last year. According to the latest data from uh, Plant-Based Food Association and the nonprofit Good Food Institute. So the Vuna looks like tuna salad, but it's the raw tuna deals that are wigging me out, man. I mean, look, I'm not going to dive into the whole fake meat argument discussion thing like that. We've already covered that elsewhere in other media programs, and we don't have time to get into it here. And I'll, I'll just say this. My personal perspective is... I'm all for people eating seafood responsibly and trying not to like get into bad situations where we're over harvesting fish stocks, like be thoughtful about what you choose to consume, but maybe you eat your vegetables as vegetables and eat your fish as fish. And I know that's a crazy (laughs) thought, but that's personally how I'm going to go about doing it. And 
and avoid processing <laughs> one thing and trying to like transmogrify it into a whole different species or critter. That just doesn't make well, sense to me. Well, I, I like where you went here because I think same thing, right? Like, dude, if you're a vegetarian, you're a vegan, do your thing. You do Absolutely. you. I have no problem with that. That's that's totally fine. But, and I mean, I even have some friends or, or like the wives of friends who are vegetarians. And like, okay, you have a barbecue. They bring their own veggie burger. I get it. Cool. Sure. Fine. Whatever. Rock and roll. It's the raw tuna, the sushi that gets me because to me, that's like, Something I might order out or back in the land before time when you could eat in a restaurant. Like I would go to a nice sushi restaurant for sushi. So it's just such like a, like a niche food to begin with, like a special treat. It's not yeah. something you eat as readily as a burger or a vegan hot dog or whatever it is you need to have. So like who is buying that for when? Like are you buying fake raw tuna to make sushi platters at home? Are you having that on hand so that when – all your friends want to order sushi out like you feel like part of the team because if if the shit's tomato based and you're a vegetarian why not make something out of some delicious slices of fresh tomato yeah i i would be all i would far prefer to have fresh tomato sushi than fake fish sushi personally that sounds yeah. good i mean i I'd know the may, I, I mean I know the mayo doesn't jive, and I'm certainly not a vegetarian, but I eat fresh tomato sandwiches like every day in the summer yeah it's good tomato they're amazing. Bread, tomato, mayo, salt, and pepper, done. But here's, here's what I will say to, to get back to the point. I'll say one other thing. I would probably eat the fake veggie sushi over a gas station sushi roll. That is that is the place where I think I would take the veggie one over the fish one. Have you, I mean, that's that's a place where ah. I just will not get my sushi is from a gas station. All that's right. a personal pr- – I've is. had a few sp- – I've had a few crunchy tuna rolls from the Circle K, dude, and they were fine. I'm here. I'm here. I live to talk about it. Here I am. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like, personal opinion. That's that's where I might. That is the one situation where I might pick the fake option. Is is yeah. in you just got to check case. the date. Yeah, you just got to check the date. That's all. I, all right. So this is kind of nice. You set me up pretty well to transition from one questionable seafood product to another. And okay. uh, and I learned something this week, Joe. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard of a loser fish? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No? No. I've never. No. I'm trying so hard because I got any something there and I don't know what it might is. Be? Oh, man. I'm just not witty enough in this moment and I'm like mad at myself. No, I don't know what a loser fish All right, is. I, I didn't either. Uh, but it's an actual industry term that salmon farms use to describe up to a quarter of the fish that they produce. Losers. I uh, call all farm-raised salmon losers. Like, I don't eat yeah. farm-raised salmon. Well, we're, we're going to get there. As but you yeah. were. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the loser fish are the salmon that, uh, although technically healthy, act sluggish, have stunted growth, and display little interest in food. And a 2016 study from the Royal Society of Open Science looked at farmed Atlantic salmon brains and found that these loser fish have constant elevated levels of cortisol, which is a hormone that vertebrates release when they're under stress. Cortisol is a good thing in the right circumstances, right? Cortisol helps trigger the fight or flight response, which is important for wild salmon because, you know, they got to outrun orcas and seals and sea lions and sharks and, and all the other salmon predators. sharks. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The cortisol response also helps them make the upstream migrations that salmon are famous for. Like, you know, all those those uh, those nature videos of salmon majestically leaping up over waterfalls mm-hmm. and getting away from bears. Yeah, the, it's the Seen cortisol yeah. 
that helps them fly. But a constant bombardment of stress hormones, it's just not good. It's not good for the brain. It's not good for the body. Many of us are experiencing that right now. The constant level of stress apparently turns normal farm salmon into depressed losers. They're, they're so wigged out all the time that they don't even respond to the standard stress test for freaking out a fish, which I learned is to just pick one up and drop it into a bucket of water. That's the, the scientific <laughs> industry standard for stressing out a fish. <laughs> Researchers theorize that these smaller, weaker fish forced to live in overcrowded pens with bigger, aggressive fish without the possibility of escape. They just can't, they just can't handle that light level of negativity, man. They, they give up on life. They stop eating and wait to die, which they do. In addition to depression, farmed salmon are also prone to deafness, scoliosis, obesity, and lice infestations. <coughs> and all right, listen, even if you don't give a shit about salmon welfare, and frankly, I can't talk because I've personally killed thousands of salmon as part of my job, but salmon farms are a bad deal. Those yep. massive sea lice infestations that they create spread to wild fish populations, as do the plumes of antibiotics salmon farms have to use to keep their fish from dying of infections. Salmon escape from net pens and can wreak havoc on wild fish and mess up delicate ecosystems like that time in 2017 when 263,000 Atlantic salmon got free in Puget Sound, Washington. You know, the Pacific Ocean, where Atlantic <laughs> salmon aren't supposed to live. So bottom line, I'm going to steal a line that Grundens used to use back in the day. Quote, friends don't let friends eat farmed fish. All right. Eat all the wild fish you want, but our salmon stocks have enough issues without being contaminated by pens full of losers. So the loser fish, are they, are, maybe I missed this, but are they deemed like not fit for consumption and then, and then pulled out and wasted or? What, they, yeah, what they don't even grow. Like they, they won't grow. They're so depressed. They don't eat. They don't grow. They just die. They die of depression. And that's 25% of all farmed salmon. Oh man, it's it's like it's like some of the dudes I used to play in bands with. They're like they're still just sitting around, <laughs> wishing wishing we'd stuck it out on the hardcore scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think all a lot of us have have some high school friends that wound up in the loser fish population. You know, but uh, I don't want to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, look, I won't come down. And if you if, if you if you buy the the huge pack of frozen salmon fillets at Sam's Club. I mean, it is what it is. It's not my jam. Once you taste, in my opinion, a salmon out of salt water from Alaska, specifically, like before it ever hit the rivers, mm-hmm. you will never, you'll never look back. Yep. You will just, ne- you know. But yeah, I'm not a big Different salmon animal. trout guy anyway. But you know. Okay, so man, I'm trying to think of a good se- good segue <laughs> here. I don't have one because I'm going in a, a way different direction uh, from it. farmed salmon. So uh, here's here's one of those stories um, where I think we we stretch the parameters of fishing, which we're allowed to do here because this is our show and we can do whatever we want. Um, this one is about magnet fishing. You know what that is? What is magnet? I have no idea what this is. What is well, ma- just, are you just fishing what it for like. magnets? What is it? No, no, no. That's that's something they do over in Europe, I think. Uh, over here, you just tie a big magnet off to a rope and throw it in water and drag it around and try and find stuff. So it's exactly oh, so it's what like, it sounds like. It's like the, the, the subsurface version of those people with the metal detectors on the beach. It's like yeah. they've moved out into the water. Yeah, well, they, yeah, or, or these are people who can't afford a metal detector, but they can buy a magnet. <laughs> and quick, quick aside before I dive into this, um, I dabble, though very lightly, in magnet fishing. 
which you may not have known, and now you do. Um, and and just to save face, because it's kind of a dorky hobby, this is purely a COVID slash quarantine related thing. Okay, it started with extra time to sit around and watch YouTube, and I got sucked in by this dude that does. He goes by the Fisher, and he's this spastic cat from somewhere in the Midwest, and he just goes nuts every time. He's always on bridges, and he's he's finding all kinds of weird stuff, and and every time he finds something, he's like, "What the heck is this, guys? What is that thing?" Right? And I got sucked in by this dude's stuff on on YouTube, and then if you factor in what felt like license to buy anything you wanted on Amazon during quarantine to make yourself feel better, like eating ice cream after you just got dumped, right? I, that, that is why I now own some magnet fishing equipment, okay? So there, like this was, this was like cathartic almost, okay? I thought like I'm not really traveling. I can't go junking because of COVID, so this makes sense. And uh, so far, a $130 investment has found me two screws, five nuts, and a bicycle chain. Hmm. That yeah. is what I've gotten out of this. Really paying so, off for you. Um, <laughs> I kind of lost I kind of lost the fire for it and realized that if I have free time to magnet fish, I should probably just fish fish, uh, which is also safer because this story comes to us from Fox 6 Milwaukee headline person magnet fishing in Beaver Dam recovers grenade that was probably live. What? So, yeah. Did you uh, wait, 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 did you just say grenade like grenade. an explosive device that you like it, throw in war? Yes, that you would throw in war hopefully at the, the people fighting you, it wasn't like a weird, you know, foxhole accident or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Beaver Dam police say a person who was magnet fishing near a dam on Madison Street, it might have been this dude, he's always like out in public in the middle of a city, recovered a grenade that was later determined to be real and potentially, potentially, quote, live. A Facebook post from the Beaver Dam department said contact was made with the Dane County Bomb Squad to discuss the proper procedure to dispose of the grenade. After seeing photos of the grenade and speaking with the Beaver Dam Police Department supervisors, they determined that they would send a team out to assist in the disposal of the grenade. Uh, due to the degradation of the grenade uh, from being in the water for quite some time, the bomb squad was unable to confirm if it was actually live without further testing. But they felt it was necessary, I would hope so, to take precautions for everyone's safety. And they closed the bridge down for two hours while they got rid of this grenade in Wisconsin. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. 
Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Now, I have a few thoughts on this, okay? I'm, so just- I'm kind of speechless other than trying to put myself in the, in the shoes of this magnet fisherman bringing right. up like, Holy shit! Well, that's a grenade. Well, this is this is the thing, and this is this is why like I'm a loser fish in the magnet fishing world because you realize later <laughs> that you watch these magnet fishing things, and they're only showing you when they find cool shit. They don't show you the nine hours and four days where they found two screws, five nuts, and one bicycle chain like <laughs> I have, right? But I do I do have a couple thoughts on this, right? So to start, this is frightening. And while they don't know, they haven't said whether it was or was not a live grenade, but if it was, where did that come from? So that's mystery number one. How is there a live grenade? But I do have another theory because I, like you, are a child of the late 80s and early 90s. So hear me out on this. When I was growing up, there was an Army-Navy surplus store in the Franklin Mills Mall in Philadelphia called I Goldberg's, and you could buy all the grenades you wanted in there. There were literally bins full of grenades. Now, of course, they weren't live. The hulls were drilled out, so they were disabled and could never be made live, but they were real Vietnam-era grenades with the clip and the pin and the whole works, and they were like three bucks a pop. And I could still see them in the huge crates in that store, and I had at least half a dozen. Guarantee there are still some kicking around at my mom's house. My dad had one of those, and I used to play with it all the time. So I, I know exactly right. what you're talking right. about. Right. But it was so, clearly not live. No, 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 no. But they, so those grenades would be drilled out, right? And they, you know, they have a hole up the center. But you figure if this thing's sitting in there for years, and it's all full of sludge and muck, mm. and that hole is filled in, you wouldn't know. So I mean, I don't know, man. Of course, that was back in the like, the, like what I'd consider the last days of when like kids were men. You know what I mean? Like we'd be at the mall. Like we'd be at the mall. My mom would be like, "Oh, honey, didn't you tell me you needed more grenades?" You know, <laughs> if you're good this year, maybe Santa will put a few more grenades in your stocking. You know, it was back in the day when Toys R Us had the sign pointing to the arsenal aisle. You know, you remember that? Yeah, I but do. Dad, like, I want the Mac Ten with the Cobras on the grips, not the dragons. You know? Yeah, like yeah. Okay, if you're gonna have a BB gun war, only one pump and close your only eyes when they're pump. shooting at your face. Kachunk, 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 kachunk. One pump, my ass. <laughs> Go 15 at least, break a little skin. Uh, but those were, those were good times. So that's what popped into my head. Maybe it's maybe it wasn't a live grenade. Maybe it's just a relic from an era 
uh, that's not the COVID era when kids still went outside and, and, and played Army. And for the record, once I get my magnet fishing game dialed in, I'm going to find a whole grenade launcher, like the one Poncho <laughs> used in Predator. You mark my words. <laughs> Come on out. We'll, do, we'll magnet fish together. It'll be fun. Oh, that sounds terrible. I'd rather go real fishing. But uh, I'll say this. If anybody out there finds out, like before we do, if it, you know, they determine if it was live or not, let us know. Give us an update because we want to know. Um, I'm going to kind of stick with with lawlessness on the water for, for the, the last piece here. I like it. Uh, last, last week, two Louisiana men won a local bass fishing tournament, but their glory was quickly tarnished after they were arrested for fishing contest fraud. All right. Now, now cheating in bass tournaments is nothing new. We've covered it. Meteor just like every other fishing media outlet. So the cheating part is not what caught my eye. That's just yeah. standard protocol. It's the arrest part. These guys are facing up to $3,000 in fines and a year in jail because they fished outside of the tournament boundaries. They didn't even leave the lake. They just left the boundaries. And this is not like one of those big national BASS elite series tournaments we're talking about a local club tournament they they take their fishing tournaments seriously down there and so it got me wondering about penal codes related to fishing tournaments and apparently louisiana is not the only state where cheating in a fishing tournament can get you locked up well so this is like one of those weird old laws thing you didn't know existed anymore like you can't ride a horse through town on sunday it's not old Right? Like, this is actually <laughs> relatively recent. Getting caught breaking tournament rules, in, like fishing tournament rules in Texas is considered either a class A misdemeanor or a third degree felony, depending on the size of the prize at stake. And no, it's not one of those old, like, laws that just takes up space in the penal code nobody knows about. This has been enforced several times just in the last couple of years in the Lone Star State. And side note, but weird one. Te- Texas tournament anglers seem to be cutters. They they have a habit of tail chopping. In one case, <laughs> a guy named Terry Keith Long was fishing a tournament on Lake Fork, and and on Lake Fork, fish between sixteen and twenty four inches must be immediately released back in the lake, and they they don't count for points. So Terry he catches himself like a sixteen and a half incher, and he decides, you know, maybe I'll just trim. Oh, I'll just give it a little no trim. Way. I'll just take a half inch off with some scissors and call it good. See, and, this and no one's going to notice. But that, hold on. Wait. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It gets weirder. Another case involved a kayak tournament. And since kayaks don't have live wells, competitors take pictures of their fish on approved measuring boards and then let them go. Well, this guy, Brent Taylor, he must have felt like he, he needed a, a couple extra inches to stay competitive. So what he decided to do was he cut the whole tail off of a bass moved it a few inches down the ruler and put his hand over the missing section as if he were just kind of holding the fish in place so it didn't flop around on the measuring board. Oh, Mr. Sneaky Man. Okay. But but he's, he's kind of sneaky, but guess where he screwed up? He kept the tail. <laughs> they found the tail in his kayak, and that was how they, they busted him. Oh, man. That's a little Darwin. It's a little Darwin award. Yeah. yeah. And... and, and all these guys were arrested and charged under the fraud in fishing tournaments legal code. Uh, so from what I could dig up, only Texas and Louisiana have actual laws about fishing tournament fraud. But to be to be clear here, I couldn't like find a database about laws pertaining yeah. to fishing tournaments. So any of you out there, if you know of other states 
that have actual statutes on the books about fit cheating in fishing tournaments, please let us know because I'm genuinely interested in how common those are. Like, I want to know how many states had to write laws about fishing tournament cheaters. See, I had no idea, man. I mean, it kind of it kind of fits like with the good old boys in the South. Like, you, you know, you don't you don't mess with a fishing tournament down there. But I don't. I I fished one. Two tournaments in my entire life. One was pure fun and bragging rights. One had money on the line. I regretted it. So I, like, I'm not really into <laughs> tournament fishing, so I wouldn't have known these things. But um, I mean, so the guys who who they were trying to who got arrested were they being jerks about that, or was it like, a, oh, hey man, sorry, didn't know that we were crossing the line. Like what, like. Is it like drunk driving? One? Yeah, is it like drunk driving where it's like no questions asked, like you did this and you're going down? You know, I couldn't find that kind of in-depth coverage. No one interviewed them about their uh, their intentions. But I'm going to guess that they clearly knew the rules, they clearly broke them, and they won the tournament and people were passed. So I, I, think, I think they knew what they weren't supposed to do and they did it knowingly. Otherwise, you know, if it was an honest mistake, they would have stripped them. I assume they would have stripped them of the win, but that would have been the end. But no... They called authorities, and these guys might go to jail for a year. See, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you could end up in jail over a green bass. This is why I say, fish for snakeheads, people. Okay, there's no, there's <laughs> no, no one cares. There's no laws in snakeheads. You can do whatever you want. Yo, they'll, they'll, dude, you kill ten snakeheads wherever you want. They'll throw you a parade around here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for Phil to weigh in and crown this week's champion. Phil, come on, man. You know who brought the goods? Give it up. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. And, uh, and, and then we're going straight from the front page news to the classifieds as we dig into the sale bin. Miles, I thought about making a loser fish joke here, but that would have been too obvious. I'm sorry, but you could not compete with Joe's tomato tuna and possibly, but probably not live grenades. Our winner this week, again, is Joe Cermelli. <laughs> Miles, that makes you 0 for 2. I'm so sorry. I do not make the rules. Um, actually, I do. But just remember, there are no small fish news stories, only small fish news podcast hosts, which you are not because you are a rather tall man. Please don't beat me up. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. Seems like people love to buy and sell used crap on the internet. And you know, fishing gear is no exception. In this segment, we profile some fishing related item we found for sale online. And just like in all Craigslist crawling, 99% of it is only interesting because it's terrible. Today's is no exception. Okay. This one comes to us from let go $24. And the title of the post is just fishing weights. Now the magic of this, I better be able, <laughs> those better be some good fishing weights for 24 the, bucks. <laughs> The uh, the long description is the clincher here, but before we get to that, we just have to describe what we're looking at. So we have a case here, a long skinny case with a handle and a hang tag for a pegboard on one end, and this was obviously repurposed. I don't, I can't put my finger on exactly what this case was originally made for. I don't know if you have any thoughts there. I'm gonna guess that it was originally made for fasteners of some kind, bolts and nuts. Yeah, something like very a really small. really cheap tiny toolbox okay all right i like that and it is absolutely beat to shit okay and in it in the few compartments we have uh, a bunch of clearly used like pre-made steel leader saltwater hook rigs 
all coiled up. Yeah, that looked like they would take you at least an hour to disentangle them all. Correct. There are exactly five clearly used eight-ounce bank sinkers, one of which has a little piece of what looks like four-pound test, like, like a little <laughs> clip, man. Right? Just got a little little pigtail hanging there's off one, the side. There's one, em- there's one completely empty container, and then in there's also two crappie-sized micro, <laughs> clearly used curly-tail grubs. One chartreuse, one we'll call root beer. Uh, and this is $24. That's what this will cost you. But here's the description. I'm going to read it verbatim. But before you get there, Joe, I have to. I just have to jump in. I'm sorry to cut you off. But no, it's, no, no. Do what, it. What's, for me, what's such a head scratcher on this is I want to know whose fishing kit this was and what they were fishing for. In what circumstance do you need steel leaders, eight-ounce bank weights, crappie curly-tail jigs, and no hooks. Yeah, none of these none of these things really it go together. It is so incongruous. How did these things wind up in a box together? None of it makes any sense to me. Well, I don't have the answer to that, though. We did correspond with this seller. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? Because this description... Okay, so five pieces of eight-ounce weights equals sign $75 through 100 bucks. <laughs> That's so that a- right out of the gate is... Uh, that's don't new know. math. I, I don't think know, yeah. they call that new math. <laughs> I don't know where we're getting that. Two hooks and fishing line and two fake worms for fishing. Now, here we go. <laughs> Come with the case two. You hang it, lay it down, or stand it up for you own convenience. <laughs> Enjoy your summer with this kit. Come and get it before someone beat you to it. That is the description of this product. Enjoy um, your summer with this kit. You won't have any hooks, but boy, can you and, get yeah. those crappie jigs to the bottom fast. So I did the jerky thing, and I wrote, hello, interesting kit. Do you think I'd be able to use these items for trout? I'm just starting <laughs> to get into trout fishing in your area. Okay. Now, you just heard the grammar in the description, and here's what I got back in four minutes. Usually, a rod and reel well-suited for a mainline in the four to eight pound test range will serve you well for trout fishing and also will get the job done for other popular freshwater species such as bass and panfish. (laughs) In perfect grammar, and I just cut and pasted it into my search box and it was straight out of uh, a Google article called Trout Fishing Basics. (laughs) Yeah. So he just he just he just cut that right out of a Google answer. I give and, I give credit for that. That was actually pretty clever. I was like, that was slick. That was yeah. slick. You're, you're dancing around. You, you have no idea, but good good move. No doubt. Followed up by to each their own. T h e r e. You have to find what weights you like best. Followed up with, however, for this little amount of money, I'm asking for the kit. It's a win-win for you regardless. <laughs> R-E-G-U-A-R-D-L-E-S-S. Regardless. Yep, yep. Got it. He sounded it out. He sounded yeah, it out. For sure. So um fishing kit, 24 bucks. Enjoy, enjoy your summer. <laughs> enjoy that, your summer. My friends. Save a little cash. Oh, Love it. And- that's ridiculous. I mean, let's be honest. Those eight ounce sinkers are no more than seventy five cents a piece. They're not seventy five dollars. But the thing is, that kind of markup that's that's the kind of thing you usually only find in, in fly fishing gear. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, 
and that's that's an unfortunate truth because it gives fly fishing a bad rap. But the truth is that fly fishing doesn't have to be that much more expensive than conventional fishing. And in this week's tackle hack, our good friend Tim Romano is going to tell you how you can save yourself some cash on fly floating. I'm getting hacked. Coming from inside the city. Fight the planet! Tim Romano, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. It's kind of a loaded loaded question these days, but uh, I'm okay. <laughs> these days it sure is, but we're not going to think about all that bad stuff. Uh, we're going to think about the good times ahead, and you are going to drop some knowledge on us, uh, specifically for the dry fly fishermen. You've got uh, a hell of a trick here. Tell, tell us all about it. Yeah, I think it's a trick. It's um, basically all those little fancy dry fly floatants that you spend, um, I don't know, five, 10, 20, $30 on, mm-hmm. you can buy those and they're great and they work really well. Or you can Google up fletching powder, which I didn't even know what that was because I'm not an archery guy. I'm sure some of your listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about, but um, it comes in quantities like 10, 15 times what you can buy at the fly shop for dry shake. And it's basically the exact same thing. Yeah, I believe you use this stuff. You put it on your fletching to keep them dry so they don't get waterlogged like if you're out in the in the rain, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And you're saying that's a good substitute for like a frog's fanny or something like that. Yeah, There's all different it, kinds. Yeah, it doesn't – I mean, I'm trying to think about that. They're all slightly different, right? But they're basically just a desiccant powder. What I've – the little bit of research I've done, I think it's actually called hydrophobic you tell me how to pronounce this, F-U-M-E-D, hydrophobic foamed silica. That was perfect. (laughs) So yeah, it's, you just have way larger quantities and it's, you know, literally like one-tenth of the cost. So you just refill your empty frog's fanny or whatever with that stuff. Yeah, like whatever container you like using, um, keep it. I will say it's supposedly non-toxic, but you definitely don't want to breathe that crap. Don't blow a line of it. <laughs> Correct. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can try. I didn't tell you to do that, though. What I do sometimes, in, instead of pouring it from bottle to bottle, which can be really messy, I would suggest putting it in like a Ziploc or a thin plastic bag so you can basically put the corner of that bag in and then just kind of tap it in slowly. Because if you try to pour it from bottle to bottle, that's a complete mess. And generally speaking, when you're fishing alone, do you shake it hard or medium or just a little bit? <laughs> Depends on the day, Sir Mally. Dude, that's a that's a legitimately good hack. Right? I mean, yeah. Right? No, the last time I went and bought a bottle of that fancy Japanese dry shake, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I came up short on rent the next month. <laughs> that stuff is expensive, man. I know. I know. The thing is, it's anything, right? Anything that says fly fishing on it, you can at least double the price. That's true. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I can get a a spool of fluorocarbon to spool a spinning reel pretty cheap, but then you get a miniature tippet spool of the shit at the fly (laughs) shop. It's like a $400 markup. And this is a problem. This is a, I I believe, I believe, I believe smarter people call this a barrier to entry. Yeah, it is. It is. (laughs) And it's part of what gives fly fishing a bad rap. It really is. Because everyone's like, oh. What kind of chump would spend that much money online? And I don't know, buy the regular stuff, buy the P-Line. That's what I always do. Yep, me too. But I'm here to tell you, all of you, that you don't actually have to be rich or be a sucker to get into the long rod game. It's a ton of fun. 
and you don't need to drop two grand to do it. We are, uh, we're going to stick with this theme, the, the everyman's fly fishing theme, to close out this week's show with our end of the line segment. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Rubber legs, pats, rubby, pickle, jimmy legs. No matter what you call it, the pats rubber legs is one of the greatest fly patterns ever conceived. I call it a turd for reasons that are obvious if you've ever seen one, but the pattern is actually named after its inventor, Pat Bennett, and the uh, assortment of splayed jiggly rubber legs that hang off of it. Right now, all the Western trout guys out there are like, duh, everybody already knows about the turd fly, bro. Well, no. Everybody you hang out with knows about turd flies, but I'm willing to bet that at least half of the people listening to this have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm pretty sure you guys don't know the history of that fly you love so much. So listen up. Imagine a toddler's crayon drawing of a caterpillar with a hook hanging out of the ass, and you'll have some idea of what a Pat's rubber legs looks like. It's a long shanked hook, somewhere around a size four, wrapped with fuzzy brown or black or olive chenille with six or eight or 10 or however many feel like putting on there, little rubber legs dangling around the edges. As with most fly designs, the Pat's rubber legs is really just a slightly altered ripoff of a pre-existing pattern. The original that spawned the modern turd was the girdle bug, invented by a guy named Frank McGinnis of Anaconda, Montana in the early 1930s. Back then, fly tying materials didn't exist. People tied flies out of whatever feathers or other shit they had laying around. Turns out, McGinnis was a true pioneer when it came to creative materials for dressing flies. See, frontier women were known for their toughness and resilience, but not so much for their svelte physiques, if you know what I mean. That said, even the pioneer gals liked to get dolled up once in a while and hit the town. And back then, that meant smushing their midsections into constrictive, shape-enforcing garments called girdles. Girdles were some of the first articles of clothing to employ elastic bands, and legend has it that when McGinnis saw some of those little white strings of supple elastic poking out of his wife's well-worn undergarments, he got inspired. Only, probably not in the way she was hoping. He figured those little white bands would look damn good as legs or antennae on wet flies, so he cut off a few, paired them with some black chenille he stole from her sewing kit, and bam! One of the world's greatest fish-fooling inventions was born. A half century later, the girdle bug got upgraded with new colors and synthetic materials and became the ubiquitous trout catcher we know today. Simplicity is a virtue in fly design. Spending 40 minutes crafting a perfectly proportioned work of bug art only to snap it off on the second cast sucks. Turd flies consist of three materials, four if you add weight. Good tires can whip these out in a couple minutes flat, no matter how many empty PBR cans are scattered around the vise. Turds work in any river with populations of stoneflies. Stoneflies are found on every continent except Antarctica and are as irresistible to trout as Waffle House hash browns are to Southerners. I want you smothered, want you covered like my Waffle House hash browns. Turds don't look all that much like real stoneflies. You can find dozens of other patterns that look a whole hell of a lot more like the real thing. They have perfect abdomen to thorax proportions, detailed modeling on the wing cases, articulated legs... They look like they might just crawl out of your box and join one of the annual streamside orgies that stoneflies have after they hatch. Problem is, those realistic flies don't really work. At least not for me. Maybe fish appreciate simplicity too, or maybe they're just dumber than we think. Turds are the ultimate guide fly. Simple, fast, and cheap to make, but deadly effective. 
even if you've never tied a fly in your life, you can wrap up three or four of these in a half an hour and they will catch fish. So go buy yourself some chenille, rubber legs, long shanked hooks, maybe a six pack or two. Now is as good a time as any to learn how to tie flies and turds are as good a fly as any to learn on. So if we're recapping, Hank Patterson is apparently still alive and well. Uh, Time on the Water is the L.A. punk band version of musky literature. I've got a new bar to hit up on my home turf. And fly fishing, as it turns out, shocker, after all these years of research, isn't just for rich people. True story. Carry those bullet points of brilliance into the weekend and uh, do some good with them. Maybe even catch a fish or two. And, and if you do, tell us about it. Send us an email at bent at themeateater.com. Tell us what's great. Tell us what sucks. Tell us all the reasons why we should never be allowed to host a podcast again. Yeah, And I'm going to head over to St. George's Pub with the copy of Time on the Water that I stole from your bookshelf and do me a little quality <laughs> reading. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I'm going to piss off my whole family by reliving my high school angsty days and blasting some classic Descendants cuts. Yes. See you next week. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.